sexually. The beauty of a relationship is that your partner is helping you discover those things about yourself that you want to change for your own benefit, for your own growth and development. And they're really your mirror. Welcome to Spiritually Hungry. Are you ready for a relationship episode? We haven't done one in a while. Oh, really? It's been a while. A relationship is such a big word. Relation to what? What are we talking about? You're going to find out. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how we change intentionally or by default, how our relationships change and how to learn to change and grow together instead of solely or independently. And then ultimately that leads to growing apart. That's what I'm planning on talking about. What are you going to talk about? Yeah, I think that's a very important topic. I think me and you have been talking about this. We talk about this a lot, but also recently in that you spend a lot of time helping couples and of course together we spend time with couples and i think the reality is that unless there is both individually and collectively a real desire to change and grow together the likelihood of a relationship coming to where it's supposed to be which is you know a, a fulfilling and growing thriving relationship is, is very unlikely and i think you know we've spoke maybe touched upon this in previous episodes. But I think it's, you know, we quote Daniel Kahneman, who says that getting married is the most illogical decision people make, because the statistics are clear. Marriages don't work. Relationships don't work. They almost always end badly, right? So... I think even the younger generation today, I'm not sure how much of a rush they're even in to get married, right? And I think that part of it probably, I mean, I think there's many variables, but um, I don't think there's a lot of great role models out there for successful relationships, but uh, especially marriages. Right. I want to share a letter from librarian Emily Swan. She writes about her relationship in Modern Love column in the New York Times. And it's just, it really struck me. I think it's just the way that she set it up, the way she wrote it, but I'll let our listeners decide for themselves. She said, my husband and I are going through a difficult time in our marriage, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of advice on how to proceed. We haven't spoken in more than a year. When the children ask where he is, I don't know what to say. I've had to take over all of the household tasks, plus a lot of legal and financial paperwork. I've had a lot of time to reflect on all things I've done wrong, but I can't apologize. The main problem in our relationship is that my husband is no longer alive. Last year at 43, he died of an undiagnosed heart condition. I've done a lot of things to keep his memory alive, especially since we have two small children, one of whom was born after he died, and both of whom will grow up without memories of him. I've made board books with his photo, organized his tools and art supplies, framed posters from concerts we attended, but it's hard to know if what I'm doing is healthy. She continues. I just found that, again, I think... Well, shocking, right? Yes. Because when you start reading, you're like, oh, that's odd. Why aren't they talking for a year? And well, um, you, I just assumed that they obviously they were having, you know, they were divorced or something. He moved like that. out or something. But I think, again, I know you want to go deeper into that, but I just think, certainly for those of us in relationships, I think it puts things into perspective. Yes, it's a very sobering, you know, thought. Unfortunately, it's human nature to take what we have for granted and not appreciate it fully. Anything, any gift that we Time have. Time, especially, we, we think, I think often, I'll work on the relationship when I have time it's not the priority because i'm already married or i've i'm in a committed relationship but i'm going to grow all these other things that need tending 
Right. Um, and then we, we never think we're going to run out of time. And certainly we also never consider the digression of the relationship that is not tended to. She continues, I used to like reading relationship advice. My husband and I had a good relationship, but it had its quirks. I liked reading about other people's problems and solutions because it reminded me that no one is perfect. But now I'm struck by how irrelevant all the advice is to my current situation. You can't improve sex and communication or equitably divide household tasks with someone who isn't there or learn the love language of a ghost. I'm aware that I am technically not married anymore. I have checked the widow box on more forms than I can count. But being widowed doesn't feel the same as being single. I feel like I'm still in a relationship, especially because I'm raising our children. I still live in the house we bought with the decisions we made. So I want to hear what you have to say, but her essay resonated with me for many reasons. Of course, my first emotion was sadness. This woman was still in love and wanted to work on her relationship. And she had regrets. She wanted to make apologies but he wasn't there to hear her anymore. She was holding on with all of her strength, but what she needed to do was let go, which required even more strength. The irony is that in many relationships, people let go because it feels easier in those moments than holding on. Ego is present, but when we lose someone, humility takes its place. I wrote that last night, by the way, because I was reading the article and that I just felt like moved to write about that. But really that is the irony, right? We're so quick to say, oh, you know, this really, I've outgrown the relationship. I've outgrown the marriage. This isn't working for me anymore. You know, I've lost myself or I need to find myself or I need to find someone else. And we get so confused. And and I'm really excited to to unpack this because a lot of that really is ego at its best. And And when a person passes, right? And we've lost someone we love. The first thing we feel is very small. We feel very humbled into, wow, I can see clearly for the first time. Right. So I think, I think as I think about it, there's, for me, there's two fundamental awakenings. One is, is that, the first one, which is that I think we can take, take it for granted that we are not appreciating any of our important relationships to the degree that we should. And let's hope that we don't have to get to a place where we lose them to, to gain that, that appreciation, but rather really, like for instance, for me, again, as I read this article, obviously I thought about our relationship and how much, you know, how much I appreciate it. And I think for all of our listeners to really take this time to maybe use it as a, as a moment to, to focus on, on the power and the beauty of the relationships that you currently have, you know, sometimes you have to think, well, how, how, sad would you be or how lost would you be if you didn't have that relationship and also to focus instead of on what's lacking really focus on the essential points that make or break a relationship which are first and foremost growth individually but together which we're definitely going to unpack uh vulnerability connection and being known deeply by our significant other that doesn't happen automatically at all and by the way that's not love alone this is actually what makes relationships get better with time it's what makes you feel really like you like you are home with somebody that you are really one with somebody these things that i just mentioned have to be something that is developed and that is strong for a relationship to thrive love is never enough and I think that is so fundamental, but that most, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you you work with many more couples than I do, but that most people do not first maybe understand, second, aren't willing to do the work of change. 
So you can sit with a couple. I don't appreciate the importance of it because it's happening well, anyway. <laughs> well, it's happening, but also the directed change importance, right? So, so I'll use this maybe a basic example where where you have a couple sitting, and you know, and and the husband was you know sort of upset about, but the fact that you know she, you know, she was she was out with her friends three nights a week, right? So, so you can solve that problem, right? How do you, how do you not get angry, or how do you hear her say that she really needed whatever? Solve the problem, but the real problem, the real fundamental problem that exists in almost every single relationship is that there is necessary change for both of those in the relationship in order to be able to truly have a long-term and thriving relationship. And most people, again, they deal with problems in the moment to solve them rather than saying, okay, it's, well, it's important to do that, to solve any current problems. How committed am I to really change, to really change? And I, I, I have to say that I think that I have very rarely seen that, that, that acceptance and commitment to consistent change in order to make the relationship as powerful and beautiful as it can be. And that's why, again, why so many relationships end badly. Well, what I wrote in Rethink Love is, and I wrote it again and again, is that there's no such thing as a stable relationship. And couples are either growing together or they're growing apart. And I think that everybody needs to know that, that that is the reality, to understand that what we're saying, if you want to have a very happy relationship where you feel unconditionally loved and you're able to receive it and give it, you must know that this is the formula that you you have to choose to grow and change together. And I, th- I think that's so important. Before you share from 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 your amazing book, and by the way, again, it's a good time to remind our <laughs> listeners: if you haven't yet bought or read or shared it with all of your friends and family, pause the podcast right now. Go to Amazon.com <laughs> and order many many copies of Rethink Love. But the point that you said is so important that. Most people are not, you know, don't have the understanding that otherwise it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work unless they're really willing to, you know, to put in the, you know, the the time and the effort and to change. So I would actually challenge our listeners right now. Ask yourself, and maybe if you're sharing this later or now with your partner, what are the things that you know you need to work on to make this relationship better? And hopefully, your partner also has a list, or maybe if it's one thing or two things that they need to change about themselves, not change about themselves in order to be the relationship better. I bet you, if you stopped a hundred couples on the street and asked them, "What's your?" and you asked them each individually, "What is the thing that you're working on to change within yourself in order to become a better partner and therefore make this relationship even better?" Most people probably wouldn't even start. Maybe when they go to couples therapy, seven years into the marriage, when it's not working, they start making lists, right? Well, but, but the lists are going to be about what their couple, what their partner needs to be, and how they need to change right, in right. order for them to be yeah. happy. Yeah, no, that's, that's not why. the list that you're speaking. Yeah, about. It's, I think, and I think again, and I really ask our listeners to take that time. Ask again if you're listening to this for yourself, and you're in a relationship. Ask yourself the question: What is it about you that you need to change in order to be a better partner, in order for, to allow your relationship to become greater? And then, hopefully, you know, tonight you're going to see your partner, or or ask them, or you know, have this open conversation. What are they changing? And again, I just think I'm not even sure people think they can be happy in a relationship. I think people 
think like, okay, this is as good as it's going oh, to Oh, you get. mean after, but certainly yeah. getting well, going yeah, in. Going in, if not, why would anybody ever get married? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. amazing. I want to feel like this every single day. Well, so you're life. asking something, you're saying that you don't think that many people think, oh, right, that the relationship can really be amazing and growing and thriving. Yeah. They think that it's not because they chose the wrong person or there's somebody better out there. Or they've or just grown it, apart, but they never look at like, okay, well, where's my responsibility in that? And can I actually change it? They kind of just accept it as, you know, you outgrow things. Right. So I think, again, just to underscore, I really think it's a very important question. If you're in a relationship, if it's an amazing relationship, you still have to ask yourself this question. If it's not so great, you definitely have to ask yourself this question. What are we working on independently about ourselves to become a better partner, to to enable this relationship to become a thriving and, and growing, loving relationship. So when we talk about growth, though, what I think is the key is that you allow your partner to be part of your growth. Because I see this a lot too, right? One person in the relationship, let's say even if it's a spiritual pursuit or they've become obsessed with tennis or pl- learning the ukulele or whatever it is, and maybe it's learning many things, right? That's just the kind of thing they're they're interested in growing and expanding. And they do it on their own. And then the partner stays where they're at. And the person that's discovering all these new things about themselves, getting curious about life, enjoying life again in different ways, if they don't either share it with their partner and invite them to explore with them, or the partner doesn't want to, like, oh, I don't want to learn a new language, or I don't want to learn the ukulele, what happens is you start to have many meaningful experiences outside of the relationship. And that's another recipe for disaster. I see it time and time again where that's what happens with couples. They don't actually um, reach for each other anymore. And Or if one offers, the other one rejects their bids for attention and interaction. Right. But the only caveat that I would add to that is right, it is important that that each individual member of the, of the, of the, in the relationship has a whole, not a whole life, but, but an individual yes. and things that give give them joy that the other partner might not enjoy. But like you said, but but in the whole, you have to make sure that if you're pursuing something new, you at least invite them in. And, and that you don't develop this whole other life right. outside of the relationship. That's more fun and interesting. I yeah. mean, I think we're a good example of that. The I think what's always been the glue for us is that we have the same sense of importance and purpose in life and the same spiritual relationship with ourselves and the creator like that is our own individual driving force and it's what we have together and i think being married to one another we've only been able to do more and greater things even in that area but because we we both found it individually we are our own person we pursue our own things we share them though, right? And then we're able to be stronger as a couple for it. So out of everything that I listed, right, the hobbies, the things that you take up, the one thing that I think, and I've written this in my book too, you have to have spirituality in the relationship. So of course you have to have it individually first, but if you don't have that, it's really impossible because ego wins you know, the, going the extra mile, forget about it. The, the understanding of cause and effect of process of tikkun, right? It's just it's not even there. So why why do the work, right? What is the purpose? Absolutely. Which 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 is another. I think again, you said you said something really important before. I want I want to underscore that for and maybe create in some way as a challenge for for our listeners, right? Ask yourself the question: When was the last time you invited your partner in? 
And again, it doesn't have to be about in everything that you do all the time, but it does have to be consistent. When was the last time you invited your partner in? And when was the last time he or she invited you in? Because if not, it's they're not interested in you. I mean, to some level, or they've given up because you haven't responded. And I, I think I've been really good at this in our relationship, if I can say so myself, is that when I always had a fear, I think because I felt like I was catching up in terms of study and especially with the wisdom of Kabbalah, that I never wanted you to outgrow me in some way, right? Like I always felt like that I really, as as inspired as I was when we became married, I wanted to make sure that I always had that fuel for myself. So because I knew, I knew if we didn't meet there that that would be an issue, but also even trivial things. Like if I start to find interests outside and you're not part of them, I, I, and that's why we, I've influenced you in different ways, right? Like you started using the infrared sauna or like whatever that is, because we're having experiences then together that we both enjoy, right? You were never really a hiker. I mean, I could have all this, but, but then we do these things together and, and it makes it fun. And, and the pursuit of, of exploring is like a very big part of a relationship, but had you not been open to it. And, and if I hadn't recognized the importance of that, and you also recognize the importance that I'm not really sure where we would be, right? Yeah, beautiful. And again, so I really want to underscore that to our listener. I think it's really an important question to ask. When was the last time you invited your partner? When was the last time they invited you in? And if it's not often or often enough, make sure you start doing that more. There was something else that that I thought was also really imp- important in what you said when you talk, spoke to, speak about the fact that there has to be a personal spiritual foundation each individual. Because also something that I've noticed is that a person might, again, if they go to therapy, therapists might say, you know, you really need to work on this, right? But why are you working on it? Are you working on it because, well, my wife's not going to be happy with me if I don't change this about me, so I'm going to do it for her? Or, and this is, I think, what where spirituality makes it so much more possible for a relationship to thrive, you, know, you really say, actually, I need to do this for me. If I have, for instance, an anger issue, yeah, it also has a negative impact on my relationship, and I better change it so that my relationship can thrive. But actually, I'm not okay because of the spiritual understanding that I need to be growing and becoming a better person with my anger. And that's why the real reason, I'm happy my wife or husband pointed out to me, but the real reason I want to invest the time and effort is not because I want my wife to then you know, be happier with me, but I want to be happier with me. So when the view in a relationship, the things that need to change, and we all have things, and we're always going to have new things that we need to change and grow in order to make the relationship thrive, it's not, oh, one more thing I got to do for my wife or husband to be happy with me, right? Rather, it's, oh, I'm so happy that I realized I have an anger issue, or I'm so happy that I realized that I'm a little bit lazy. Not because now I'm going to put the effort be so that my wife or husband partner is going to be happier with me, but rather because I'll be happier. But hence, that's why spirituality has to exactly. exist individually, because exactly. nobody's going to be motivated to do any of those things. Oh, I'm so happy that my wife pointed out my anger issues, or you know, I get the opportunity to work on that through this relationship. That will not be the reality, right? Right. But I think, uh, but but the point is, and this is why relationships are actually so important and the most vital element of a person's development and life. We'll call it spiritual growth, is because when you're in your own cocoon you will not 
you know, you're, you might be, I know a lot of people, they're okay being lazy, or they're okay being an angry person. They're, but actually, if you look at life as the, the, my number one priority in life is to be evolving and growing and changing, then I'm so happy that it happens to be my wife who is pointy, helping me realize that anger is not helpful, or that being lazy isn't so great, or that, you know, and so the whole, the whole list of things. Actually, the beauty of a relationship is that your partner is helping you discover those things about yourself that you want to change for your own benefit, for your own growth and development. And they're really your mirror. What I want to ask you, I'm curious. You, you, you were sorry, you were going to share something from, from Rethink Love. No, I wasn't. It was just that was the, oh, the quote okay, of that. Sorry. But I'm curious, what would you say that the thing that has brought us the closest together in the hard times or the good times? Like, what was the... I think vulnerability through the challenging times. Yeah. That would be... Why would you have a different answer? No, I would say that's number one, for sure. And it's interesting, is if I look at all the years we've spent together, you know, we created a family, we raised our children, there were many storms we weathered, we laughed, we cried, we grieved, we dreamed... We learned what it means to be a partnership. But if I look back at that whole list, yeah, of course, the highs. and But it was really the vulnerability the, well, through the, through the most difficult times yeah. that we, we leaned in towards each other that really shifted everything. And, and I was saying the second thing is, is the openness to allow each other, I don't know if it was to change us, but to help us realize those things about ourselves that we want to change. Yeah, but I think the first was everything we right. just said. It's foundational. It's interesting because there's a couple that we both know, and I think it's a really good example of what not to do. They got married. He was very clear about how important his spiritual practice was to him. She kind of went along with it, took some interest, learned a little bit, was supportive. What he didn't do because he knew on some level there was a limit to how much she would be involved or want him to be involved with his practice, that he didn't share that where he was at was not enough for him and that his intention was to become even more spiritual and really pursue that much more actively than he was when they were together and dating. So what happened is after the marriage, that became a huge point of contention because he wanted more and she thought that he would kind of outgrow it or it wouldn't be as, or at least it would just stay that way, you know, or maybe wane over time. So he was growing and changing. She wasn't. She was becoming jealous and resentful. And it obviously, it pulled them apart. They divorced. And I don't see that as a bad thing. The good thing was it was really within a year of their marriage because it became so obvious. It was before they had children, before it was five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. But it's an issue I think a lot of couples face because when people are dating, they're not, that's not high on their list that I want to find somebody who is spiritual, but more than because spiritual would be like, oh, we can have deep conversations. No, like actively pursuing, you know, growing and changing and making their ego smaller, it's not high on the list, right? So I think that that's part of the issue why these relationships aren't set up that way in the first place. Right, and I think, what I'd like to say two things. So so this, I often like to see things as they are organized. So there's basically five, I think you might even have written about this, this five stages in every relationship, right? So, and the, the different, different therapists, psychologists give it different names, but these are the five basic stages. So, this is the infatuation, or sometimes called the honeymoon phase. 
Then there's the coming together. So both those always sort of on a, almost always. Although, although I've seen people being dragged to marriage or coming together, yeah. but okay, <laughs> I'm sure we've all seen that. So well, those we've are the, been to more weddings than most yes, people. yes. So infatuation, coming together, right? Relatively straightforward. Those are the places where think people think, okay, work over. Then there's what's either called the power struggle or the do, d- disillusion phase, mm-hmm. right? The come to Jesus moment. Well, what did I? Yeah, well, yeah. Or, or, that's or, when or, the euphoria wears off, and all those hormones, good feelings, are kind of like not at the front. Now you really see the relationship. You see the good and the bad. Right. And Whereas think, in the beginning, you we overemphasize the positive and de-emphasize the negative. And so people, that's where marriages end, and and relationships end, right? And then so what? And then, so it's the last two stages, right? Is is the commitment stage? Right, so you've been through difficult times, you've been through challenging times, but you say, "No, this is actually the person I want to spend the rest of my life with." And then the fifth stage, which I think is so beautiful and really worthwhile, both to be thinking of, is the co-creation stage, right, where you realize, "Okay, we're 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 because we're committed. This is our life together. Together, we're going to create. Yeah, we create a family. We'll create many many things together." I feel like the four, the committed, is kind of a recommitment because. Right. The parts before that. You thought are, the coming together was a good Yeah, but it was. and it's not. But, but it's, it's a, a re-choosing once you're not feeling all of those great feelings all the time. And what I think is so important is that most, like, if you ask most people, people are, are very much aware of the first two, completely unaware of the last three. And really, it's the last two that are the most powerful, right? It's the it's the commitment and the creation together well, that is the most beautiful yeah. and powerful. But if you don't go through through the the, the you know the, certainly the third stage. You know of the of the struggle and the work that we that we spoke about, then you can never get to the commitment. You'll never get to the to the co creation stage. I just think it's so ridiculous that most <laughs> people scary that most people only think about if you ask people about relationships, whether they're conscious or subconscious, it's the first two. It's the, there's the the infatuation and there's the coming together. End of story. And then why doesn't it work? I don't know. I guess you know. It's rather rather than saying no, actually, relationships are five stage at least, right? A five stage process. So you accept there's going to be an infatuation. So whether you're in, if you're not in a relationship now, know that you're going to go through five, hopefully go through five stages. If you're in a relationship now, even if you're in the infatuation stage, or you're getting towards, or you're in the coming together stage, beautiful, amazing. But realize that there are that the real work and the real power and the real beauty of a relationship is in the struggle. Is in the commitment, then is in the co-creation stage. And unless you have your eyes open towards that, and this goes back to why it's so important to have, I would say, a spiritual, or at least I'll call it simply a desire to change and grow, there's no way to get to stage through stage three and into stage four and five unless you're growing and changing and desiring to grow and change. Well, it's interesting because this is really about self-discovery but self-discovery together right it's about now you've you've discovered that your relationship's not what you thought it was that marriage wasn't what you thought it would be and then you have a choice to make and then you need to bring that your partner in with you there was a recent study published in the journal of memory and cognition and researchers i thought this was really interesting as i think it really proves this point researchers wanted to understand the way we think about events in our past things that make up our perception of our life. So they asked participants ranging in age from 8 to 81 to recount seven key memories that represented their life story. Which I think is funny because some of them haven't experienced their whole life. I mean, eight, but I guess they wanted to see the, the range. 
Then they had them note how significant each was in making them who they are today. Researchers then documented each memory falling into one of three categories. One was happy, two was unhappy, and three was neutral. So what they found was really interesting. The happiest memories of all tended to occur in what what your what age? I think you said you should. I know I did. And, but what, do you remember the in answer? The 20s. You thought it was I thought, I thought did, it was in the forties and fifties. Yeah. You thought it was forty because that's your age. <laughs> hey, you're hey, adorable. Hey, hey. No, you always because you're a happy guy. That's yeah. great. <laughs> but it was the twenties that was the happiest times of their lives, no matter how old they were. So why? In a word, self-discovery. If you think about it, your 20s are when you leave home, you go to school, you learn a new trade, you start to live life on your own terms and based on your own choices. It's a time of discovery and the decade when we learn the most about ourselves. And what they wrote in the article is the major transitions that typically occur during this time are likely to be especially memorable and self-defining. The heady process of figuring out who we are, as young adults often do, could cast a warm glow on those memories for decades to come. And the point is, and this is why the article struck me, is that if you're doing life correctly, you should have self-discovery in every single decade. That is such an important point. And I was I, like, of course, then you're going to always look back because that was the time you allowed yourself to go and to discover and to be, and you had that that emotional intelligence with yourself and those deep conversations with yourself and then with hopefully your partner too. And, and people make the huge mistake of thinking when whether choose an age, 30, 40, 50, I can't 60. do that. I don't have no, the luxury. No, not just that no, I don't have the luxury. Have the time. This is who I am. Right? So this, this is who I am. And yeah, maybe I'll get a little bit smarter. Maybe I'll, you know, and it's funny. I was actually studying about this this week. There's a biblical portion when it talks about the life of Sarah. And it says something very interesting when she dies. It says, it says she was 100, she was 20, she was 7. Basically, you take all those together, she, was, she died at age 127. But the, the sages asked the question, why... Say does, it like that. Why does it, why 120 and 7? And they say, because when she was 100 years old, she was as, it says, as, as if she was 20. What does that mean? Exactly to your point. Even when she was 100 years old, mm -hmm. she knew she still needed to be changing and delving deeper. Is that really what you read? That's, yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. so serendipitous that yeah. I found this in this Memory and Cognition yes. magazine. Yeah, and that's the point. The point is, I think we, on this is true, and this is a big problem in relationships, but it's a problem in life. And what does it mean then she was seven? Seven, it means that, well, it talks, that it talks about beauty, that, that, that she was as beautiful as a young person, even into her, her oh. later stages. But I think that that that's that thought that you know you you become who you are you when you're in your 20s and then you basically are that person into your 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s until you leave this world is such a like i i know you know even though you know i just turned 50 i i i my desire and my 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 hope is that in my in the next this year, next year, my next in the next ten years, I become completely different. I don't know in what ways, but but I certainly don't look back at my twenties and say, "Oh, that I became who I am, who I will be in my twenties. But it all goes back to the desire to change. And this is the power of a relationship. And this is the power of 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 simple happiness in life. Now, with that said, I can appreciate because then I thought back, well, I asked myself the question, right? What, is there like a, a time where I feel more I look back more fondly on and and, I, and my goal is the same as yours in the sense that I want to enjoy each stage of my life. But with that said, the first time I became a mother, right? It's more about moments, right? And, or when we had many small kids running around the house and like 
you know, like there, there are certain aspects that tug at my heartstrings, but I don't look back at them as the, and then you're not meant to, right? So I just want to be clear about that. There will be times you'll go back to memories that really stand out as powerful, but not to look back. Because we see this a lot with much older people, you know, oh, the best time of my life was, and they live that decade over and over again in their head, and they're not really living presently. Right. And I think the point is, and again, this is a really, I think, a deep point, but hopefully, you know, our li- listeners get, even though we've only spoken about it for a little bit of time, but that most people see themselves as being who they are, again, molded at 20 or 30, whatever, and then the rest of life is being that person in different situations. No, that's certainly not I, not the way we live our lives. But we're and, not meant to live like that. Exactly. That, that you want to be deeply changing that'll be the best for your relationship that'll best be best for your own personal happiness and i think it's a again i do think it's a it's a fundamentally different way of looking at life and one's development than most people do and i think that there are certain cultures that do this better you know they understand that you can only get a certain amount of wisdom at this age or this other thing happens at this age right many different cultures embrace menopause because now you're at that age where you know, instead of giving out that energy of life to something else, you're now bringing that energy of life within. I mean, there's many different ways. And I think that we should really look at how do we think about aging? How do we think about the different years of our life? Do you believe that you should retire to a certain age? And then what are you going to do? Find a new passion, right? Like it's to really look at your life, the totality of it. And I love the example you gave of Sarah, because, you know, what is it at a hundred, right? What is it at so at every kind of stage? And even, even things that happened to us that weren't great, you know, don't let that tarnish either. But I want to flip this the other way now, because I also know couples who are very much into self-discovery and, and they do it often together, but, but sometimes separately, the ayahuasca journeys, different kinds of things. And they're having, you know, talks with Jesus and they walked with Noah and they're having these moments where they don't think a partner, their partner can understand it or they don't feel comfortable sharing it. So they're having these real emotional responses to an experience, but they're having it alone and they don't feel that they can share it with their partner. So it's creating separation and they're finding new places to be excited about, but not necessarily ever bringing their partner in on that. And we touched on that at the beginning, but I think as we wrap this up, it's so important to make sure that those kinds of those aha moments we have, those times where we have an emotional, extreme emotional response to something, somebody, make sure that you you bring your partner along on that journey. Because sometimes our deepest conversations are not with the people we've chosen to spend our lives with, which right. eventually leads us to choosing something else. Absolutely. Absolutely, which reminds me, there's an article years ago in the Times, the New York Times, and there's just one, two sentences here, which I think is exactly to the point that we're talking about. We don't marry one person as much as, much as we marry one version of a person. Oh, I love a that. A snapshot well said. of who we and our partner are individually and to one another at the moment when we say, I do. Where'd you find that? Uh, it's an article from the New York Times years ago. Who we are five, 10, or 40 years later is anybody's guess. People change. As a result, relationships change too. I love that. I love that. I can't say that better. It's funny. I was talking to you this week uh, after I worked out. I called you because I was having some feelings. (laughs) And I started telling you a bunch of um, dark thoughts that I had had after my sweat. And 
just saying it to you, like I then I was over it. I felt better. I already had gotten over it, and I it wasn't even serious. It's just sometimes my mind will go to different places for different reasons. And then I said to you, if you remember, I was like, I love that. I said you're the only person that knows every side of me, like the dark, the scary, the vulnerable. You know, not so dark. It's not so scary. I think it is. Is it not? I remember yeah, yeah, once I had this thought over and over again. Then you started think the thought yourself like but that never <laughs> usually happens but i really appreciated that that us in that moment and just Thank to you. be able to show you all, all of my snapshots um so if you leave our listeners with one thought or well i'm going to take a page from your book and i'm going to repeat myself good <laughs> There is no such thing Are as. Are you saying that I'm repetitive? No, but you're very good at making a point and then saying, "Yeah," and saying, "Yeah." Because I think if you're sharing no, I think that's something, so important. Yeah. I never do that, I, and I should do it more. I probably wouldn't do it as much as you do. I think it. there's a quote. I don't know if it's where it's from. But like they say, "Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them." That's great. Yeah. I just feel like, oh my god, I need to give more and more and more. I always give too much information. Because again, do, again, I know I hope they our heard it. Then they go somewhere else in their yeah, mind. The, the, they come back the again. The purpose of of this podcast is not just either to entertain or to give interesting information. Hopefully, this is a, a, a part of people's internal journey of transformation. So for that, you really need to pay attention to things. You have to hear it certainly more than once in order to make it a part of your change. So to take a page out of your book, there is no such thing as a stable relationship. Couples either grow together or they grow apart. Beautiful. And I'd like to end actually with the end of the that article that you shared in the beginning of where she, of course, is writing this after having lost her husband. At the end, she writes this, In case it isn't obvious, this essay is one of my attempts to both reach out to my husband and let him go. I feel like words read by people I have never met in places I have never been will have some special power. They will travel to places I cannot go, and maybe that means a part of me can go with them to wherever my husband is, if he is. Maybe this was never about giving or receiving advice. It was just about expressing my love. It doesn't make sense, but it's not any weirder than lighting candles or visiting mediums, right? If so, there's obviously only one thing I want to say. <laughs> hey, baby, I love you. That's mm -hmm. so sad. <laughs> sad and beautiful and hopefully awakens for all, all of us and our listeners both an appreciation and desire to push to change so that our, our relationships can continue to thrive and be as powerful as they're meant to be. Mm. So I'd like to take an opportunity to share with our listeners an email from one of our listeners. And this is from Ginger. Dear Monica and Michael, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now, and I want to thank you for the wisdom you both share with the world. I stumbled across your podcast while I was in a dark period of my life and you have given me beautiful thoughts and tools to start living my life in a way that feels authentic to who my soul is and truly living. I recently lost my mom to suicide, mm. and it's been truly devastating. But something, something happened the day after that has been a grounding anchor for me through this sea of grief. I was sitting on a high deck with my friend, starting for the first time to feel anger for what had happened. When my friend pointed out a small white feather floating gently towards upwards towards us, there was no breeze. This feather had no business drifting the way it was, yet there it was. And in the minute that we watched the feather drifting, I felt an overwhelming sense of calm 
and I knew that, however hard this may be for me going forward, my mom is now safe and at peace. Mm. I don't know if I would have been open and able to see this sign if I hadn't been guided by your wisdom these past couple of years. Thank you both again for sharing your light. It truly makes a difference. With care, Ginger. That's so beautiful, and I'm so sorry. (sighs) Yes, and thank you, Ginger, for sharing this with us and with our listeners. And as I say, this is what this is why we do what we do, and it really inspires us, and I'm sure it does inspire our listeners. The fact that this wisdom, that what we share in some ways makes lives better, helps change and growth and different perspectives, continues to inspire us. So this is, I think, the perfect time to remind our listeners again, share this podcast with everybody you know, go to Apple Podcasts and write five-star reviews, make sure to send us your thoughts, comments, inspiration, stories to Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life And as always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Stay spiritually hungry.